We're continuing our series this morning, Majoring in the Minors. This morning we move on to the next minor prophet, Jonah. While you guys are turning to Jonah, and if you were joined with us for Obadiah, it's the next page over, and you find Jonah. While you're turning there, let's ask the Lord to bless our study. Heavenly Father, we come before you, and Lord, as we open up your word, may we be reminded that it is your word, and we turn to it because we want it to affect change in our life. We know that you've ordained it to go forth in power, to shape us and change us and mold us. Father, that we would not run from your word, but we would run to your word. And that you would use your word mightily in our life, Father, to continue to transform us into the image of your Son. In Jesus' name, amen. A little bit of background on Jonah's story. I don't, I don't know if the camera's on or not um, to, re- to record. A little bit of background on Jonah's story. Jonah's name means dove. And he was a servant of the Lord from Gath Heifer, a town that is in the tribe of Zebulun. Jonah is the son of Amittai, and he was and he remained to be the only Old Testament prophet to attempt to run from God. And the reason, if I had to name one specific reason for the book of Jonah, one theme, it's this. He teaches that our God is a God of second chances, which is good for me because I don't always get it right the first time. I hardly ever get it right the first time. But our God is a God of second chances. Jonah's only one of four prophets whose ministries are specifically referred to by Christ. Along his name, you find Elijah, Elisha, and Isaiah. And there's a couple of problems that recur from the book of Jonah. And the first is this. Jonah is often portrayed as merely a children's story. And second, in telling it only as a story, the story that is told doesn't go beyond focusing on Jonah being in the belly of a great fish. It often ends when Jonah spit up on dry land. And that neglects the entire prophecy to Nineveh and fails to establish the truths about God that are portrayed in the second half of the book of Jonah, about God being a God of second chances, sovereign in grace and mercy. It's an interesting thing to know this. In in Jewish tradition, the entire book of Jonah is to be read every year on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Traditionally, the book is considered to be written by the prophet Jonah. And I firmly stand here and believe this morning that Jonah wrote this book himself. 2 Kings 14.25 talks about the events of the book that occurred during the reign of Jeroboam II. So his book takes place between 793 and 753 BC. And also before the destruction of Nineveh at 612 BC. There's every reason to believe that he wrote the book himself. It gives an account of his divine commission, his disobedience, 
his prayer and miraculous delivery. The content of this book describes Jonah as an intensely patriotic person. And it's precisely because of this misguided patriotism that we might want to pay attention and focus because that same patriotism caused him to rebel at the possibility of Israel's former enemies receiving mercy and forgiveness from God. Now, I consider myself to be blessed to be born in America, and I believe that America is a blessed country, but America is not only the country that God is concerned with. He's not only going to bless America. He's not only focused on America, just like he wasn't in the Old Testament, only focused on Israel. It's an important lesson, and it's a rebuke of Jonah's exclusivistic attitude and ours too, if we have one. Jonah, a book of the minor prophets, is unique because it's a book that focuses on the prophet and not the prophecy. It looks at the conditions of Jonah's heart and God's discipline. And it should serve not only to instruct us, but also to humble our hearts as we see that God's concern and God's grace is to all people in view. The purpose of this book is to teach that, for one, God's grace is not limited to the Hebrew people. But it also puts repentance and forgiveness as significant themes that point to God being a God of second chances. Second chances no matter who you are, no matter where you were born, and no matter where you grew up, and no matter where you are right now. And Paul shared the sentiment in Romans 3.29, or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too. A stinging rebuke, especially to the nation of Israel who thought that they were God's special chosen only people. While Jonah is in view, most often do not be deceived. He's not the main actor of this book. God is the main actor. Jonah is only mentioned about 18 times, while God is mentioned 38 times in four chapters, which means if you eliminate God from the book, it doesn't make sense at all. Now, there's... That's the background for the book of Jonah. (laughs) We're going to focus in on Jonah chapter 1 this morning, and the title of my message for chapter 1 is Disobedience. Fleeing the Lord's call. Consider the people that you find the most difficult to love. Images perhaps can conjure up of faces, types, groups of people, perhaps that you're most critical and judgmental of. And I can point to a few if I, if I were to bear my heart for you and tell you that I have a hard time finding love in my own strength. I find it hard to love those that are involved in drug cartels. I find it hard to love and and have concern for those that are on the other side of the world in, in things like ISIS in which they're killing, beheading, torturing, and murdering Christians simply because they're Christians. What types of personalities do you typically dismiss? Hoping to have little contact with them, hoping to have no responsibility for them, 
people who for all intents and purposes have become enemies because of what they say or what they do or even what they believe? What if these people have also blasphemed and profaned the name of God to make themselves enemies of God? And their behavior becoming blatantly anti-God. Do we feel more justified in our judgment of them and writing them off as beyond God's mercy? See, this is what happened with Jonah. And Jonah's response to the call from the Lord to reach out and bring the message of the Lord to the Lord's enemies. But most importantly, in Jonah's mind, Jonah's own enemies. His response was to flee from the call of the Lord. May we see in that fleeing from the Lord's call to bring his message to people we don't believe deserve it. Number one, it's disobedience to God and God will not allow us to flee in that disobedience. But let us choose now and today to not only be faithful to God when we agree with God, but may our hearts be faithful and obedient even when God's call is contrary to what we want. Starting in Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh, preach against it, because their evil has come up before me. Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare, went down in it to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. But the Lord threw a great wind onto the sea, And such a great storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. The sailors were afraid and each one cried out to his own God. They threw the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten the load. Meanwhile, Jonah had gone down to the lowest part of the vessel and stretched out and had fallen into a deep sleep. Then the captain approached him and said, what are you doing sound asleep? Get up. Call to your God. Maybe this God will consider us and we won't perish. Come on, the sailors said to each other. Let's cast lots. Then we'll know who's to blame for this trouble we're in. So they cast lots and the lot singled out Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us who is to blame for this trouble that we're in. What is your business? Where are you from? What is your country and what people are you from? He answered them, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord the God of the heavens who made the sea and the dry land. And then the men were seized by a great fear and said to him, what have you done? And the men knew he was fleeing from the Lord's presence because he had told them. So they said to him, what should we do to you so that the sea will calm down for us? For the sea was getting worse and worse. He answered to them, pick me up, throw me into the sea so that it will calm down for you. For I know that I'm to blame for this great storm that is against you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they couldn't because the sea was raging against them more and more. So they called out to the Lord, please, Lord, don't let us perish because of this man's life and don't charge us with innocent blood. For you, Lord, have done just as you pleased. And they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea and the sea stopped raging. The men were seized by the great fear of the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and they made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. This chapter breaks up nicely into two separate parts. 
And the first part we're going to look at is attempting to flee. The first three verses says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh, preach against it because their evil has come up before me. Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare, went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. We first come across Jonah's call. Verses 1 and 2 describe how the call of jo- uh, the Lord came to Jonah. It came and it called him. It said, get up and go. Go to the great city of Nineveh. Now, Nineveh is a great city. Second only to Babylon. Nineveh was a city that was built back early in Genesis. It's recorded that Nimrod built this city. And Jonah was called by God to go and preach against it. You see, the call for Jonah was to get up from where he was and from what he was doing. Literally get up, stop what you're doing. And then the word of the Lord said not only to get up, not only to stop, but it said go. Stop what you're doing, leave where you are, and go. And all of those are commanded actions that require immediate response. But what's so urgent that it required the urgent response? Well, God wanted Jonah to go to Nineveh and preach against it. In other words, God wanted Jonah to go and bring a stinging message of rebuke against Nineveh in order to correct them, to raise the call and sound the alarm that they're in grave danger of falling into the hands of a holy God. You see, their evil has come up before the Lord and he wants to warn them for the chance of repentance. Now, the Ninevites are people who are relentless and persistent in their sins. Nineveh is a city of Assyria known for its brutal atrocities and its blatant idolatry. They worship the gods of Nebu, Asher, Adad, and Ishtar. And Nineveh as a city is located in what we know presently today as Iraq. And it, it was opposite of the city of Mos- Mosul. Jonah prophesied during the days when Assyria was threatening the northern kingdom of Israel. God was sending him to preach and rebuke and, and take repentance to Nineveh, the capital city of Assyria. And Assyria was an extremely cruel nation, especially towards the Jews. If their inscriptions are to be believed, they're said to have flayed their enemies alive, making heaps of their skulls, as well as many other dreadful things. The haughty and blasphemous words of Rabshakeh, the Assyrian spokesman of Sennacherib, are recorded in 2 Kings 18-19. I didn't have any of these slides for the first service, so you guys are seeing them for the first time. Now they're here. It says, Then the royal spokesman said to them, Tell Hezekiah, this is what the great king, the king of Assyria, says. What are you relying on? What are you trusting in? Who do you think is going to save you from us? There's a few more words in between there. 
And in fact, they're, they're speaking in Hebrew so that all the people can hear. But the delegates from Israel are saying, hey, don't speak in Hebrew. Why, why, do the, why does everybody need to hear what's going on? We understand Aramaic, speak in Aramaic, and we'll keep it between us. And here's what the response was. In verse 27, it says, But the royal spokesman said to them, Has my master sent me to speak these words only to your master and to you? Hasn't he sent me to also speak to the men who sit on the wall destined with you to eat their own excrement and drink their own urine? Brutality of war, especially in those days when the strategy was to besiege a city by encircling it, nothing in or out, no food, no water. Then the royal spokesman stood, called out loudly in Hebrew, hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. This is what the king says. Don't let Hezekiah deceive you. He can't save you from my power. Don't let Hezekiah persuade you to rely on the Lord, saying, certainly the Lord will rescue us. The city will not be handed over to the king of Assyria. He's saying, don't even think you can trust and rely in the Lord God. Basically, they're saying, look, we're going to destroy you. There's nothing to deliver you. This is the nation that Jonah's called to bring them a message. And he's called to go into their land and do it. Sounds safe. How many of us receive rebuke well? How many of us receive rebuke well from our family They're the closest people to us. How would we receive it from a perfect stranger? Isaiah 58, 1. This is the heart of God's message. He wants them to go and cry out loudly. He's telling them, don't hold back. Go preach rebuke. Go and raise your voice like a ram's horn to call them to attention, to warn them, to wake them up. Tell the people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. So how did Jonah respond to his call? Well, he took flight. Actually, he took a ship, but he took flight. (laughs) Other prophets are recorded as responding to the word of the Lord. When the word of the Lord came upon them and it says, their response was this, here I am, Lord. Jonah, however, did not. How did Jonah respond to the call that came from the Lord? Verse 3 says that Jonah responded with an immediate response. He immediately got up and did not go to Nineveh. It says that he immediately got up to flee. Where was he running? Physically, Jonah was running to Tarshish. Spiritually, Jonah was fleeing from the Lord's presence. When one seeks to escape the call of the Lord, one is also fleeing the presence of the Lord at the same time. Jonah went down to Joppa. He found a ship going to Tarshish. Jonah paid the fare. He went down into the ship to go with him to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. Now, here's something that we need to know about that. It is a sin to flee from the Lord. And here's why. Because if we're not on the Lord's path, then we're automatically in opposition to the Lord and defiance of the Lord. 
And here's how it looks on a map. You got Nineveh over here. Tarshish is over here. Jonah's going exact opposite of where God called him to. About 2,500 miles the wrong way. I want you to also notice that Jonah paid a fare. And sin always has its cost. Sin always has its fares. Or as the Bible likes to call it, sin has its wages. And we will pay them. We delude ourselves into thinking that we can escape the presence of the Lord, though. And the psalmist writing in Psalm 139, verse 7, knows this. Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? And I think in verse 9 and 10, it specifically applies to Jonah. If I live at the eastern horizon or settle at the western limits... Even there, your hand will lead me, your right hand will hold me. You cannot flee from the presence of the Lord. But when we're in sin, we think somehow we can hide from the Lord. Now, the prophet Nahum is another minor prophet we're going to cover. But the Nahum was also sent to preach to Nineveh. And he gives us an insightful picture of what the Ninevites were like. In chapter 3 of the book of Nahum, it says, Woe to the city of blood, totally deceitful full of plunder, never without prey, the crack of the whip and the rumble of the wheel, galloping horse and jolting chariot, charging horsemen, flashing sword, shining spear, heaps of slain, mounds of corpses, dead bodies without end. They stumble over their dead because of the continual prostitution of the prostitute, the attractive mistress of sorcery, who treats nations and clans like merchandise by her prostitution and sorcery. Now Jonah fled because he doesn't want to go preach at Nineveh. Even preach against them. Maybe Jonah's afraid that at best they're going to mock him. They'll make fun of him. That's kind of the worst that they'll do to you here in America. They're going to mock you and make fun of you. Yet we still don't go and go preach. Jonah, at worst, they would kill him in an utterly inhumane way. But what we're going to learn later is that Jonah knows of God's grace, God's mercy, and God's compassion, and he actually fears that Nineveh will repent and be spared. Jonah refused to preach to them lest they repent, find grace, and be saved by God. Jonah could not bear the thought of the Assyrians escaping God's judgment. Considering this, we have to ask ourselves, who do we refuse to share the message of grace and mercy of God in disobedience, mind you? lest they find salvation. Is there any that we've judged as being beyond God's grace, God's mercy, the worth of salvation, or deserving of mercy? Here's the truth. Mercy, in order to be mercy, is deserved by no one. If you deserved mercy, it wouldn't be mercy. 
So we have the attempted flight. But what we see is that God prevents escape. In verse 4, it says, But the Lord threw a great wind onto the sea, and such a great storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. The sailors were afraid, and each one cried out to his God, and they threw the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten the load. Meanwhile, Jonah had gone down to the lowest part of the vessel, had stretched out, and had fallen into a deep sleep. And the captain came and approached him, and he said, What are you doing sound asleep? Get up! Call to your God. Maybe this God will consider us and we won't perish. Come on, the sailors said to each other, let's cast lots. Then we'll know who's to blame for all this trouble we're in. And so they cast lots and the lot singled out Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us who is to blame for this trouble we're in. What is your business? Where are you from? What is your country? And what people are you from? And he, Jonah, answered them, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord the God of the heavens who made the sea and the dry land. And the men who were seized by a great fear and said to him, what have you done? See, the men knew he was fleeing from the Lord's presence because he had told them so. So they said to him, what should we do to you so the sea will calm down for us? The sea was getting worse and worse. And John answered them. He said, pick me up, throw me into the sea, so that it will calm down for you. For I know that I'm to blame for this great storm that is against you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they couldn't because the sea was raging against them more and more. So they called out to the Lord, please, Lord, don't let us perish because of this man's life. Don't charge us with innocent blood for you, Lord, have done just as you pleased. Then they picked up Jonah They threw him into the sea and the sea stopped its raging and the men were seized by a great fear of the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and they made vows. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So God prevents escape and here's one of the ways he prevents the escape of a disobedient servant. He'll send stormy seas. Jonah didn't want to bring God's message to Nineveh, lest they find mercy and grace through repentance. But here we find one of the greatest conjunctions in all of Scripture, and I've shared this before, my favorite conjunction in all of Scripture is when it's like, but Jonah would not take the message, and so therefore the people in Nineveh would never hear the gospel of Christ. But then you read, but God sent a great wind. God intervenes against Jonah's disobedience. Because God is not willing to stand by and allow Jonah to disobey. He's not willing to stand by and allow us to disobey either. He wanted his message brought to Nineveh, and his message was going to go to Nineveh. Nothing will stop that. But neither was he satisfied to not have someone bring his message to you and I either. There may have been people that were disobedient in that, but he made sure we still heard the gospel. He made sure that we still knew the possibility and the requirements for salvation. But here's the other thing. God was not satisfied to leave Jonah as he was in his heart. He's not satisfied to leave us as we are in our heart either. If we harbor any hardness towards people where we're not willing to share the gospel, 
God will work in our hearts in that. And God, in a sovereign display, he throws a great wind on the sea, and that great wind turns into a great storm. And the storm was so great that it threatened to break the ship apart. And we need to understand that God will send stormy seas to bring and prevent wayward children from fleeing from him. Sometimes those storms in our life, they might be things where he's growing us. But sometimes those storms in our life are there because maybe we're in disobedience and he's trying to get our attention. God is not just about to sit back and let Jonah continue to walk in disobedience, so he sends a storm. And the storm was enough to alert the sailors around Jonah to the peril. And sailors, filled with fear, they each took turns crying out to their God. They threw their cargo into the sea. That's usually what we do, right? We, we cry out to God and then we do all that we can. We throw the cargo in the sea. We're like, well, I've done everything I can. And as they're doing all their efforts to try and save themselves, Jonah is in the lower parts of the, sh- of the ship asleep. And the sailors were concerned, but Jonah was com- comfortably complacent. Jonah was callous to the state of Nineveh. And in that callousness, he became indifferent to the plight of those around him also. And when we harbor that hardness of our heart to not take the gospel to other people, we soon find ourselves not caring about other people and what's going on around them, what's going on around us. It's when the captain approaches Jonah and frantically wakes him up to the pending doom and peril that they're all in. He says, what are you doing? And it reminds me of a YouTube video that I saw done by Penn of the uh, act, the magic, magician act of Penn and Teller in which Penn is laying, sharing that there was somebody that was at one of his shows that cared and loved enough to share the gospel with him. And though he didn't accept Christ and his life hasn't been transformed, changed, and he's not saved, he did acknowledge this. How much do you have to hate someone to know that that could be their future and you're not warning them? And he said, I was moved because this person loved and believed enough that he shared it with me. And so the captain calls to Jonah and he says, act swiftly. He says, get up, call to your God. Perhaps he would save them. And here's Jonah fleeing from God. And then you have these heathen sailors pointing him to call to his God. What a mark against us if pagan men must call men of God to pray to God. And so the sailors, they began to cast lots to determine who's to blame for this. Because they recognize this isn't a normal storm. This has got to be judgment against someone. They're like, who is it? Well, the lot fell on Jonah, and I'm going to tell you this right now. Do not go get a set of lots. They do not tell the future. They can't tell you what's going on. They, they provide zero divination. The reason the lot fell on Jonah was because God wanted to reveal Jonah. And so God revealed the lot on Jonah because he desired to deal with Jonah. And so Jonah, because of the lots, he comes clean to the sailors. And Jonah states, he goes, I'm a Hebrew 
who worships the Lord Yahweh, the God of the heavens, also implying that the God of the heavens, the sovereign one who made the seas and the dry land, he's indicating he's creator of all things, including this very storm that we're in. Seized with fear, understanding the storm is sent from God because of Jonah, they gravely go, what have you done? And it's not because they don't understand. It's because they know Jonah's fleeing from God. They're like, what, what are you doing? They understood the foolishness of trying to flee from the Lord's presence. And in light of their current and present circumstances, they perceived what, it, what an egregious thing it was to desire to flee the presence of the Lord, especially when he's called you. Why would you disobey? But God, if he can't get our attention through the stormy seas, he's going to send us crisis. He will use crisis in our life. Now, Jonah's been awakened to the fact that God knows that he's fleeing. I don't know what, how he convinced himself that God wouldn't know that he was fleeing, but now he's aware that God knows that he's fleeing and God is dealing with his fleeing and won't let him escape. And so God is continuing to prevent his escape. Now he sends a crisis to Jonah. The sailors ask Jonah, what must we do to you so the seas will calm down? Because the seas are being described as getting worse and worse. Recognizing Jonah as the offending party against God who must endure the punishment necessary to appease God. And here's the truth. Sometimes our disobedience to the Lord causes trouble for others around us as they're caught up in our storm. Especially for those of us who are called to be leaders for God. And I'm not just talking about us who are called to be leaders here at church. There's leaders in the home, men. We're called to lead the home. Our storms will affect our family. If you're a leader at work, you have people that work under you. You have people that work alongside you. They will get caught up in your storms. If you're a leader in government, if you're a leader in anything, your storms will encapsulate those who are around you. So Jonah replies, he says, here's, here's how you solve this. Throw me overboard. Jonah sees that God is reaching out to him through the sea. And so he says, if you throw me into the sea, I will be back in with God and everything will be fine. The sailors, however, like most men said, wow, that plan from the Lord seems awfully simple. Can't possibly be it. So instead they say, I'm going to row to shore. And they try in their own might and they try in their own might. And finally, they give up because their might isn't enough. You see, the sailors tried in their own might to fight against the storm, but they weren't able to. The sea kept raging and raging against them to match and overcome their own strength. But I also want you to see something in this. They weren't willing to throw Jonah overboard at first. But at the end of their own strength, they said... They called out to the Lord. They, they said, our efforts are futile. But God, don't put Jonah's life on our hands. We're going to throw him overboard now. And they pick up Jonah. They throw him into the sea. And immediately the sea stopped its raging. And the sight gripped the men in the fear of the Lord. And we know that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom and understanding and knowledge. And so then, right there, they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, to the Lord Yahweh, 
to the covenant God. Now, Jonah's in the sea, and maybe Jonah kind of thought he would die there. He's like, well, I ran from God. He's mad at me. They're going to throw me in the sea, and I'll drown. At least I don't have to go to Nineveh. At least I escaped the call to go to Nineveh. Nope, the Lord would not allow him to escape, and the Lord appointed a fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And I know the question on everybody's mind is, are we to believe that Jonah was swallowed by a fish? Absolutely yes. And I'll even go a step further because some people try to help out God as if when there's a problem with scripture and a problem with reality, we have to kind of make it and we're like, hey, I'll smooth this over for you, God, don't worry. And they say instead, no, he was swallowed by a giant whale as if they're, they're like, you see, ancient Hebrew people, they couldn't tell the difference between a fish and a whale. Well, I know that there are specificities in the Bible in which they shouldn't have known it either, but God had them use a specific word And the word that they use here isn't one other than for a fish. The second question is, or the second reason for that is this. The Lord Jesus points to this event as having actually literally happened. And if Jesus believed it, that should settle it for us. So how is it possible for a fish to swallow Jonah? And for Jonah to be in the belly of a fish for three days. We'll go back to where Jonah just got done declaring God to be the God of the heavens, the creator of the sea and the dry land. Is there anything that God cannot do? Could God not provide a specific fish to swallow Jonah? Could he also not provide for Jonah's safety in the belly of the fish so that he is not digested? Because how you react to that story relates to how you're going to accept the resurrection of Christ. If you can't trust God to provide a fish for Jonah and to protect Jonah in the fish, then you cannot trust God for salvation. I want you to also notice it says that the Lord provided or appointed a fish to swallow Jonah. The Lord provided a place of solitude and escape. You see, Jonah was running and he had this stormy life, uh, sea in his life, and he had all these problems. And he's trying to run and he's trying to. God provides a place of solitude to escape. You see, God could have left Jonah in the middle of the sea, he could have protected him there. He could have made it so that Jonah floated the entire time and left him in the sea. But God instead provided a fish for him in which he would have solitude quiet. And I want you to also see that this is the first of four things that God himself provides throughout the book of Jonah. Now, I speculated a lot about how Jonah may have had these harborings and and fears of going to Assyria. And we can try to figure out all the reasons that Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh and preach against it as God commanded. Or what I think we should do instead is look at Jonah's example of fleeing from God because he doesn't want to share the message of God and ask what our reasons are for us doing the same so that we can look to God to help us overcome our own reasons. What's the command from God that we find the most difficult to hear? 
What is it we struggle most with God about? What instructions from God may cause us panic and a desire to escape? If he sent us to bring his message out, who would it be that we would dig in our own heels and say, I'm not going? Well, you say, well, I don't have to answer that question because God hasn't called me. He hasn't sent me. You're wrong. If you are here this morning and you are in Christ Jesus, he has commissioned all who have called upon his name for salvation. In Matthew 28, 19, he said, Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe everything I've commanded you, and remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. He sent us. He's commissioned us all. Who is it that's keeping us from going? What is it that's keeping us from going? Remember this, God, God is the one who sent the wind and the storm. We love to think of the time where Jesus rebuked the wind and rebuked the storm and calmed the sea. And he can do that. And he does do that in our life. But there are times when we're disobeying and we're fleeing God. God stirs up storms also. And we need to be mindful of that so that he can get our attention. And I also want us to pay attention to the interesting claim that Jonah made because many today make the same claim. You see, it's the claim of being a worshiper of God, yet in disobedience to God, fleeing God, ignoring God. You cannot claim to worship God and at the same time disobey God because obedience is worship of God. Jonah slept in a place where he hoped not to be seen or disturbed. He went all the way to the belly of the ship. Sleeping Christians likewise seek to hide out in church. You see, Jonah slept in a place where he was so far down, nobody's going to be like, hey, it's time to swab the decks. Let's go get that guy down out of the bottom of the ship. No, that's too much work. They're just going to do it. Far too often there's Christians that sit in the church in, in, in such a way in which they don't have to help and have no, they, they stay away from all the work. Jonah slept and he had no idea about all the problems around him. Sleeping Christians don't know. Worse yet, ignore what's going on around them. They're not checking in with their communities, with their families, with their spheres of influence. They're not seeing how things are going, where they can be praying, how they can be ministering. Jonah slept unaware of the danger and had to be awakened to it by those who are in it. Like Jonah, if you're sleeping, you need to wake up and you need to begin praying for those who are perishing on the sea of life. We need to have that passion, that fervor, knowing that they are perishing around us. Wake up, call out to your God, and perhaps he may save them. This morning we're going to partake of communion. I'm going to see if I can get 
Aaron and Frank to come help me out with the communion here. As they hand out the communion, hang on to it, we'll partake of it together. But as they hand this out, remember what the communion elements represent. The body of Christ and the blood of Christ that was given to provide salvation for you and I. But in considering that, know this. He didn't provide salvation just for you and I. Christ died so that all who would call upon his name would be saved. The sacrifice of Christ was sufficient such that if everyone were to call upon the name of Christ, they would be saved. And as we consider the fact that we know the gospel and we celebrate the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that we would take that same message and we would share it with those who are perishing right now. That we would not have our uh, prejudices, that we would not have our, our fears prevent us and cause us to flee from sharing that message that we've been commissioned to send out. Jesus didn't limit it when he commissioned the disciples, when he commissioned us as disciples. He didn't say, go therefore into the nations you like, the nations that are close. He said, go therefore to all nations, baptizing them in my name, the Holy Spirit, in the name of the Father. Teach them all I've commanded you, leaving none out. Paul, when he instituted communion with the early church. He was in the city of Corinth at the Corinthian church, a church known for its fleshliness, its carnality, in a city known for its heathenism. And he, and he institutes the Lord's Supper and he tells them to do that in remembrance of the sacrifice of Christ. Because Christ sacrificed himself for salvation. And it's a message that the church is responsible to carry. And so Paul, when he instituted the Lord's Supper, he says, I received from the Lord that which I also passed on to you. And in doing so, we pass it on also. That on the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is for you. And it's not just for you and I. His body was broken for all who would call upon his name. He says, do this in remembrance of me. Let's take. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's partake. He says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death 
until he comes. And what that tells us is that the Lord has died and he's coming back. And until he comes back, today is the day of salvation in which we proclaim his death, resurrection, and the possibility of salvation found only in his name. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. Father, we thank you so much for Jonah and his example. And Lord, I personally thank you that he teaches that you are a God of second chances because, Lord, I don't get it right the first time. And I know I'm not alone. I know I'm not the only one that doesn't get it right the first time. Father, I know that there are things that scare me and and cause me to to maybe turn away and to, to walk in the other way. But Lord, you are a God who will not let us continue in that way. You will bring us back. And I thank you that you are a God who brings us back. And I pray that you would work in my heart, that you would work in all of our hearts to to bring us to love that gospel message that says that there is no one that is not worth saving. That there is no one that you have not looked at and offered genuinely salvation through the name of Jesus Christ. May we not be like the sailors going, you know what, that sounds too easy. We're just going to do it in our own way. We're going to just try to be perfect people because that it doesn't work, Father. But Lord, much like you provided the storms, much like you provided the fish, you also provided Christ to be the sacrifice for us, providing salvation. Help us now as we leave here to take that message with us and carry it and proclaim it and share it to all. In Jesus' name, amen.